This is Dan Wharton Uncancelled. Let's go. Neil Oliver is tonight's outsider. Now, Jeremy Hunt is reportedly already putting himself in the running to be the next leader of the Conservative Party if Boris Johnson is ousted. The ex-Foreign Secretary, who came second to Boris in the 2019 leadership contest, is believed to be lining up supporters and sounding out potential cabinet ministers in anticipation of the Prime Minister losing a confidence vote. Insiders say Hunt is poised to pitch himself to the public as a, quote, safe pair of hands after Johnson's turbulent time in Downing Street. And he's generally seen as not tainted by the government's handling of COVID. But let's not forget that he made huge mistakes during his stint as health secretary, leaving the UK unprepared for the incoming pandemic. And now a video from July 2020 has resurfaced and gone viral because it shows Hunt seemingly backing China's draconian zero-COVID strategy. I very much agree with uh, the central point in Gabriel's paper that we should be aiming for zero infection um, and elimination of the disease, because that is basically the approach taken in countries which have a SARS strategy as opposed to a, a flu strategy. And those are the countries that have overwhelmingly been the most successful in, in tackling coronavirus. Um, and, uh, you know, I just, my sister uh, lives in Beijing and she flew back to Beijing in the middle of lockdown. And just to give you an, an idea of the contrast, uh, she was escorted from the airport in Beijing to her home by Ministry of Health officials. Uh, and then uh, put into her home for two weeks quarantine. The door was sealed, and uh, she had a police car sitting outside her house uh, periodically. Now, I'm not saying we go that far in this country, but I just think it's an indication of how serious they are in the countries that have had to deal with SARS about stopping at the root every possible source of infection. Neil Oliver. Very disturbing stuff from Jeremy Hunt, who seems to be some sort of zero COVID enthusiast. And this is the person, the elite are saying they want to be the next prime minister. No, thanks. What do, what do you make of it all? Oh, well, words almost fail me, uh, but not quite. Good. Um, <laughs> I, I, I would say I would say it's it, it's instructive to see a clip like that. It's important to see what sort of leader, what sort of man Jeremy Hunt is, uh, you know, before he gets any closer to being uh, leader of the Conservative Party and possibly the Prime Minister. You know, you talk you know, people saying that he's a safe pair of hands. I mean, I would say the, the indication there is that he offers, you know, a tight pair of handcuffs. Uh, potentially for every man, woman and child in the country. Uh, the fantasy of zero COVID, of, of zero infection, is is just that and only that. It's a fantasy. Uh, and I appreciate that he was saying that a couple of years ago, but, but to see that, to see those words, that point of view being cheerfully expressed out of a smiling face, when at the same time we're, we've been looking at images of you know people howling from their tower blocks in Shanghai, you know, trapped in their homes, starving, dying, you know, while their cats and dogs are beaten to death in the streets outside with sticks. You know, it's interesting to see a smiling Jeremy Hunt uh, making noises that, that he approves of that kind of draconian authoritarianism. And then the, the gleeful way that he was describing 
uh, you know, his sister being escorted by, you know, armed guard practically to and from the airport and, and then saying that that was somehow appropriate, an appropriate way to treat anyone. It's so interesting to see, to be to have them sorted out at this point, to see the people that harbour these fantasies of authoritarian, totalitarian rule. You know, we, we can see him. He's, he's made plain what sort of a person he is. And, you know, that's it's good to get that out into the open now. Absolutely. And I think history should judge these zero COVID zealots because, as you rightly point out, Neil, the hellscape of China at the moment proves why zero COVID is something that should never have been pursued. And obviously that's what sane folk were saying all over the world. Well, yes, and, and look where look where something similar was attempted, variations on that theme. Uh, Australia, mm. uh, you, you know, I mean, I, I'm, I'm reading that in Australia, in Victoria, people are being told that it's against the law for them to grow their own food. I, I mean, where is where is thinking? Where is a strategy like that going? New Zealand, which also under Jacinda Ardern pursued zero COVID, uh, you know, again, just a, a fantasy. Um, uh, Justin Trudeau in Canada, he's on film uh, saying that there are aspects of the way China's uh, Communist Party runs things that he admires. Uh, you know, I've, I've even seen him on camera saying that, you know, he's, he quite wishes that, that he could act similarly in his own country. And those are the countries that have locked down and and uh, penalised and persecuted their citizens in the most draconian ways. Canadians still can't travel about the country freely. They can't leave the country. Uh, he it was that, you know, that, that, that took the money from the, you know, the, the GoFund uh, appeal that had raised the money for the for the truckers. It, it's so instructive to see that group of uh, first world politicians, those leaders uh, who, given an inch, took a mile uh, and, 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 and sought every possible extreme of power over their populations. And, and there we see in, in Jeremy Hunt, uh, you know, a little proto uh, totalitarian again. You know, fortunately, you know, he's no nearer to power than that at the moment. Yeah. Uh, and hopefully, people pay attention. People pay attention. Uh, I mean, he's he's marking himself out as an enemy of freedom, an enemy of free people. I tell you now, I didn't follow the rules last time. After the first couple of weeks of lockdown, when it was apparent to, to anyone with their eyes open that it was going to be ruinous to keep everyone shut down, to, to shut down the economy. You know, I set those rules aside for myself. And the, the next person that tries it, the next leader that tries it, be it Jeremy Hunt or anybody else, you know, I won't, I won't uh, obey those rules for a moment because Never I think it's, it's the responsibility of, of moral people to set aside immoral laws. And if anyone tries anything like lockdown again, far less the lockdown that's been attempted in China, no way. And, you know, if I ever encounter him in the street, I would, I would put him straight on that point. You know, well, I'll, and I'll they'll look at the, the economic side. catastrophe that we're dealing with now. And yes. it was so predictable. Of course, of course, it was predictable. If you take a if you take a, a juggernaut of a, of an economy the size of Britain's and you bring it to a halt, of course there are going to be catastrophic economic consequences for that. Uh, and 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 the fact that that there's been this blatant attempt to make it look as though it's the fault of the war in Ukraine that's pushing up energy prices and all of the rest of it is the clumsiest sleight of hand. The economic ruination that that we're that we're likely facing at the moment is a consequence of two years of lockdown. And, and to be perfectly honest with you, from a, a humanitarian point of view, 
the damage to the economy is only a part of it. The, the lockdown was also so unbelievably damaging, as yet immeasurably damaging to people's physical and mental well-being, the physical and mental well-being of children, you know, right down to the, the, the development of, of babies and toddlers. All of it's been compromised and we'll be dealing with the consequences of that ever after. And it's very instructive. Thank goodness somebody pressed record on, on Jeremy Hunt two years ago so that we can see that a, a would-be king of the Tories uh, presented with the same set of circumstances again would shut us in our homes until, you know, uh, you know until kingdom come. Indeed, Jeremy Hunt, a zero-COVID zealot who must never lead the Tory party and he certainly appeared. never the United Kingdom. Neil Oliver, thank you so much for exposing that. Neil Oliver and Trevor Kavanagh are coming up, but time now for our Positive Professor. And if pro-lockdown zealots haven't already realised their stance over the past years has been terribly cruel, these latest figures World Health Organisation help kick their brain into gear. Hardest during COVID did little to hold back the death surge. Sweden, which was widely slammed in the early stages of the pandemic for not implementing harmful lockdown rules, had fewer excess deaths per 100,000 people than most of Europe. Just 56 people per 100,000 died in Sweden over the last two years, compared to, for example, Germany's 116 per 100,000 under lockdown militant Angela Merkel. So much for those who praised Germany for following the science. Boris Johnson led the UK to a rate of 109 deaths per 100,000 people, lower than 13 European countries, including Spain, Italy and Portugal. Peru had a staggering 437 deaths per 100,000, despite having some of the toughest lockdown restrictions in the world. Now, my lockdown inquiry on this show has already started unravelling the myth that lockdowns saved lives. Now, though, the official data is clear. Lockdowns were truly harmful, and those who continue to say otherwise are irresponsible and wrong, and history will not look back kindly on them. Carol Sikora, our positive professor, has Sweden's lockdown strategy just been officially vindicated? Really, it has, Dan. There's no doubt. If you look across the countries, the, the only data you can take, because different people called COVID deaths differently. Uh, in some countries, in our country, for example, in the UK, it's any death within 28 days of positive testing for COVID. In Peru, strict lockdown. And if you look at excess deaths per 100,000, that's the pure data that's completely comparable, as long as it's not fake. And there's no indication that it was fake. So if you look at that, Sweden comes out top dog. There's no doubt Sweden has done very well with its very mild mock lockdown, a sort of recommendation that those that feel vulnerable should isolate themselves, should avoid crowds, wear masks and so on. Here we had a sort of half-hearted lockdown. It wasn't totally enforced. In Peru it was. And you can see lockdown actually costs lives. And so the lesson, Dan, for the future is just don't do it like this for respiratory viruses. We've got to do something better. Indeed, Carol, in, indeed. And do you think there are lessons that now should be learned from Sweden as we go through these COVID inquiries around the world? 
completely. And if you remember the Great Barrington Declaration, Great Barrington is a village outside Boston, Massachusetts in the US. And the idea there was you shouldn't lock down populations. You should take people that are vulnerable, older, uh, people with obesity, people with other medical illnesses that could result in severe COVID and get them to isolate, but not do whole populations. And that's the problem. So when you look at the complexity of the data, uh, overall mortality, excess mortality due to cancer, due to stroke, due to heart attacks and so on, you see the total picture. What we did here was completely incorrect. And we were led by a group of epidemiologists that persuaded the politicians to do it in an extreme way. And we can't do that again. We've got to have a balanced healthcare approach to a pandemic. It's fascinating, isn't it, Carol? Because throughout the pandemic, you always wanted to try and focus on what we were good at, the positive news. But you know everyone in the media or the vast majority of the media wanted to do Britain down and talk about how badly we were doing uh, compared to other countries. Now that there are these figures out, no one's covering it, Carol. No one's talking about it. No one is saying Germany was worse than us, for example. I just find it really disturbing. Now, I think the worst thing, Dan, is the culture of fear that it's brought about. And you yeah. can feel it when you go on public transport, people are afraid. I mean, I, I remember a lady shouting at me because I hadn't got a mask. There was no need to have a mask. It wasn't part of the rules. And yet I was being shouted at on a train. And she went and sat on a seat about two rows ahead of me. And I, as though the virus would care whether she's two rows or one row ahead of me, it made absolutely no sense. People have their own belief systems. And I'm afraid we saw Sort of got it wrong here and i think sweden really got it right self-responsibility you do what you think's best for you and the world moves with it and i think it's been tremendous to see this data and there'll be more data like this coming out as people put deeper analyses of the, the whole problem carol sakura brilliant analysis our positive professor thank you so much and carol will be back next week of course For nearly six months, the red side of Westminster incessantly droned on, calling for Boris Johnson's resignation, even when he was yet to be fined. But now Keir Starmer's Korma Karma is finally catching up with him. They lied about who was there. They lied about whether it was planned. They lied about going back to work. And they lied about all other restaurants being closed. The cover-up over what went on that night in Durham would make Richard Nixon proud. And as I wrote in a column for the Mail Online tonight, not only did Labour nod through every liberty sapping restriction without demanding any evidence the policies would work, Starmer would almost always insist publicly that Boris Johnson needed to go faster, longer, harder. But just like the party goers at number 10, Starmer was never scared. His COVID hysteria was nothing more than performance art designed for political gain. When the cameras were off, the masks were ditched, uh, the rules were ignored, social distancing went out the window, curries were consumed and bottles of beers were downed. Here's what the big bore with an even bigger quiff had to say at his so-called press conference earlier today. Ever since the first COVID lockdown, I've always followed the rules. In that time, the British people have made heart-wrenching sacrifices. People were left desperately lonely. They were separated from family and friends. Tragically, many were unable to see dying loved ones. This was a collective sacrifice. 
people were entitled to expect that politicians would follow the same rules as everyone else. Crying crocodile tears about the tragedy of lockdowns doesn't work when it was your job to curtail the government's draconian policies and rein them in. Another failure that Mr Starmer should have long ago resigned for. But joining me now to continue my Beargate analysis is Tory party grandee David Maller. So, David, should Starmer have followed his own lead and resigned upon being investigated by police? Because, of course, that's what he said Boris Johnson yeah. should have done. Yeah. It's such a shame that Starmer has gone in so big on all that went on at Partygate, because now he, you know, it's not an original phrase, unfortunately, it's been used all over the papers, but it's worth repeating, he's been hoist with his own petard, and now I think he is the victim of circumstance over which he has no control. What he's had to say is that if he is fined for what he did, he will, he will resign. And, you know, and if he resigns, the, the, the woman they said wasn't there, Angela <laughs> Rayner, she might have to go too. It's, uh, I mean, it's slightly in you couldn't make it up territory. And I, you're laughing, Dan, I'm laughing, because it's an irony, isn't it? Well, it's it? farcical. These people, it's when, farcical. When, when they stand there pointing the finger, they don't realise someone's pointing the finger in a more sensitive part of their anatomy, you know? But, David, that's what's so shocking. When he was calling on Rishi Sunak, right, to resign because he was simply in a room where a cake was presented to the Prime Minister. I mean, Sunak doesn't even drink. He's teetotal. And he wanted him to resign for that as Chancellor. He knew that he'd had this boozy curry night and that he'd been filmed. I mean, is the bloke stupid or did he just think that the media would never come for him? Well, there's a case for saying that it's stupid or rather it's reckless. I mean, the thing about Keir Starmer, you know, I was a lawyer who went into politics. I always thought I was really a politician who just earned a living as a lawyer. Starmer was a much more successful lawyer than me because, of <laughs> course, he was around a lot longer. He was director of public prosecutions. And I've always thought one of Starmer's problems is that he's more of a lawyer than he is a politician. Mm. But how could he, as a proper lawyer, not realise how he was actually holding out his wrists and inviting someone to handcuff him? And do you share the feelings of some other uh, in the legal profession, David, who say that Starmer is putting undue pressure now on the Durham police? You know, a relatively small police force who now know that they hold the future of the opposition leader mm. in the hands of actually what should be a minor investigation. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. You don't really need me, Dan. You've got all, the, uh, got all the answers. I mean, you're absolutely right. The police are under enormous uh, pressures, uh, but at the end of the day, so were the police dealing with, uh, you know, drinking sessions at number 10. And they sent out, rightly or wrongly, lots of penalty notices, possibly rightly for Boris, probably wrongly for Rishi Sunak, who just happened to be in the wrong place at the wrong time. Uh, but, you know, at the end of it all, it's not exactly... I mean, you know, it's not something you need Sherlock Holmes for, this one. Dr Watson could probably have got it right, or indeed Dr Watson's pussycat if he had one. <laughs> because the reality of this is that uh, Starmer is caught bang to rights, and every time they've tried to explain it, they've lied. I mean, this was not just, oh, gosh, what a hard day we've had. Uh, can't get anything to eat. Oh, let's send out for a curry. I mean, they, they, it was booked in that they were going to do that. Now, it's ludicrous, of course, 
that people at the end of a hard day can't sit together and have a meal, but those were the rules. And Starmer went along with those rules. Personally, I think a lot of this lockdown stuff was crazy, but that's a subject for another night. But while the rules were what they were, only a fool is going so blatantly uh, uh, to ride a coach and horses through them, whilst complaining that other people have done something similar because it just invites exactly what's happening to him now. And his leadership hangs by a thread tonight. From a Tory point of view, David, do you actually think that it could be better for Boris Johnson if Starmer remains in post, limping on damaged? <laughs> yes, you, you, you look at both of them and you feel Starmer needs Boris because, uh, you know, Starmer will always look like Mr Integrity when uh, Boris... Um, um, lurches into view, but equally, um, Bor but Boris needs Starmer because Starmer is just so kind of unimaginative and plodding. I mean, he really has no flair for what he's being asked to do, but one dreads to think what will happen, you know. I mean, if Boris goes and Sunak is as wounded as he is, who are we going to end up with in that situation? Well, by the same token, if Starmer goes, particularly if his deputy has to follow him, where do they then go? And in particular, we have to remember, Labour have got a problem that the Tories don't have. The Tories are not exactly a united party, but they are not really fundamentally divided in the way that Labour are. Labour are so fundamentally divided that Starmer, to be fair to him, has quite bravely taken on the core ministers and so on. Will that continue under a new leader? Hmm. Uh, you know, the old Chinese curse, may you live in interesting times, is very relevant here, because Starmer is going to live in very interesting times. But alas, so are the rest of us. Fascinating analysis from the barrister broadcaster, of course, former Tory minister, David Mallet, QC. Thank you so much, David. Dan Wooten here again. Thank you so much for listening to this edition of my podcast, Uncancelled. Did you like what you hear? Well, remember to subscribe, rate and review and join me for more newsmaking interviews, fiery debate and free speech on Dan Wooten tonight every Monday to Thursday from 9pm till 11pm on GB News. <laughs>